And another reminder that Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place, and it's free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools, so you can record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for free. So you can hear it on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. Just like us here at BraveMaker. Make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the Anchor app today and go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast. Welcome to the Brave Maker Podcast. This is episode 21. I am Rebecca Amosa. And I'm Tony Gapastone. And you hear our British voice every uh, every podcast saying scripts, stories, and conversations with creators. Well, this is the first one we're actually going to have a script. Yay! Right? So part of the, the goal we had always talked about was we wanted to do table reads. We wanted to actually have scripts not only be discussed, because we obviously talk a lot about script uh, scripts and screenwriting on the podcast, but we wanted to have scripts be read on the podcast. So I'm going to be the guinea pig. I'm going to put myself mm-hmm. out there a little bit. One of the feature films that I'm working on uh, is one that I wrote called The Thorns We Live With. And gosh, this has been like eight months now because it was last October wow. that we got a group of actors together and we did a table read. Rebecca was there and she facilitated all these cool images to project on the wall. We had the actors uh, there. They were all mic'd up. We had some potential financiers come and check it out, which hasn't gone anywhere, but that's, <laughs> that's the biz. So we're going to display the act one. Do you want to tell them a bit about Thorns? Oh, yeah. Good call. So The Thorns We Live With is a story that is loosely based on my my grandmother's uh, completion of a suicide. So my grandmother attempted to take her life, and she, was, she completed that. She was able to do it, which is an unfortunate part of the grief and tragedy that our family has suffered through. And that was in 2013. And so a couple years after her death... I began writing a script, like what if the family could have experienced things differently? And so I wrote this feature film and I really enjoyed writing it. I really want to direct this film someday. So if you're listening to it and you want to help us make it, let us know. But I I wove in the story of my grandmother's death and I fictionalized a lot of things. And I also wove in the story of my best friend Matt's coming out or hiding his sexuality. And I wove it into sort of a dysfunctional family dramedy called The Thorns We Live With. So you're going to hear 20 minutes of it. And so it's basically the first act of the film. Uh, So... It'll, it's, if you've never heard a table read before, basically you're going to hear things like interior, and then I describe the interior of the scene, and then you'll hear actors reading lines. Now, these actors aren't necessarily the ones who will be playing the roles in the film, but as a screenwriter and filmmaker, it's a really great thing to do when you write a film, get your friends or get your actors' friends and connections together and read through it so you can hear how things land. Does that work? Does that joke resonate? Does that line sound believable? What doesn't work? And so this actually helped me. I did a whole rewrite after we did this table read of the film because I I found things that were great and things that were not so great. So you'll get to hear 
the first rendition of, or actually, we did three different table reads, but this is a, a, a rendition of The Thorns We Live With. And my encouragement is if you've got a film that you're working on, do this. If we can help you do this, we would love to help you do this too. So, yeah, that's it. Cool. And to cross-promote, you mentioned um, Matt's story. Mm-hmm. Building on that, so Tony has another podcast, which you probably know, and if you don't, Holy Cannoli Podcast, yeah. and they can go there yeah. to hear some stories about your life and also sure. about Matt's story as well. Good call, yeah. So yeah, my friend Matt, he's the one who inspired the character of Charlie in the film. So when you meet Charlie, you will get to know a little bit of my friend Matt's story. Again, some of it's fictional, a lot of it's fictionalized, but I'll put some links in the show notes so you can learn about Matt, how... Uh, this is how it works, right? The creative process, you get an idea and you kind of steal all these other things from other parts of your life and create it, you know? Have you ever had anybody upset with you because they recognize, hey, that might be about me? <laughs> Not yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Knock on wood. Uh, I had to tell my mom that, uh, you know, because my mom yeah. is in the film in a different way and uh, other family members, but I can, I did like composite characters, if you will. So like my brother, I have a real biological brother. He's not in the film. He's like, why am I not in the film? <laughs> and I said, well, I took character traits of you and I put them into me and I did other things and I put some character traits of you into other characters. So uh, that's a whole thing when you're screenwriting is you can't, people often say when they're screenwriting, like this is exactly how it was and they'll get feedback. Well, that doesn't work because <laughs> sometimes real life does not translate to film. You've mm. got to fictionalize stuff. You've got to remove certain characters. Sometimes there's too many characters to follow, and that could be the case for this film too. I don't know. But you've got to be able to be willing to like edit your real story so that it can project onto the screen and actually work as a film because you only got two hours. You know what I'm saying? You can't put every single thing that happened in your real life into a film. So that was definitely something that I've learned. And yes, uh, at this point, nobody has been angry at me, but uh, that might happen eventually. We'll see. I don't know. And something I've learned. So in the filmmaking process, executive producers are usually the ones that fund a right, film. Right. So listening to Thorns, if there are uh, any people that would like to take on the role of yeah, executive producer, yeah. get in contact with us. Yeah. And I think that's the hope when we show other scripts as well. If there are people out there that hear a script and think, yep. I want to be involved in this project, make sure to reach out and we can get in contact with the the writers, directors, yeah. whoever's making it. Yeah, it's a cool thing. We just we just shot a, a short film last week called Humble Pastor Will, and we had somebody become the executive producer, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how it works. Like Somebody threw down all the money, and we were able to rent gear and pay a few people <laughs> to make it happen. It's great. And then you learn. Like That's how I learned, too. At one time, when actually, when my grandma died, I got a little bit of an inheritance, and I took part of the inheritance, and I got to fund one of my friend's films, and that's how I learned how to make a film, which is really, really cool. So if that's you, uh, let us know. Executive producers don't always have to write the checks, but they can also be the people who get the people to write the checks. Yeah. which is kind of cool, right? So you might know a wealthy family member or friend or neighbor and bring them on board. All right. So it's kind of like putting my baby out yeah. into the world. I'm going to give you this film, The Thorns We Live With. Treat it nicely. Treat it delicately. You got it. Yes. Always. <laughs> Brave stories change the world. You are the story. My name is Tony Gapastone, and you are about to hear an audio recording of my feature film script called The Thorns We Live With. 
I got together some friends to read through the whole thing, and we put some sound and some music to it. And let me give you the log line before we start. A wealthy landscaping family, the Hatchets, reluctantly reunite over Thanksgiving weekend, only to discover their mother's attempted suicide has left her in a coma. As they attempt to reconcile her affairs, they uncover the skeletons in all of their closets and must come to terms with the past in order to make sense of their future. Thanks for listening, and here is The Thorns We Live. Exterior, Atherton, California, Don's house, morning. It's an enormous, beautiful home. A wind chime of stained glass shards dangles off the wraparound porch. Its clatter echoes throughout. Exterior, Don's house, backyard, continuous. It's like the Garden of Eden. Sergio, 70, rugged, quiet gardener, prunes beautiful peak bougainvillea vines. He tosses and piles trimmings in a pickup truck with Hatchet's Gardens logo on the side. Sweat drips from his brow. Dawn Hatchet, 73, regal and aloof, saunters in her backyard. She stops, admires perfectly manicured bushes sprawling across her property. She caresses her plants and flowers like snow white as she moves through. Buenos dias, Senora Dawn. She looks up at him, the corner of her mouth slightly upturned. The wind chime echoes in the air. Senora? She stares at a leafy branch in her hand, then to Sergio. Needs more pruning. He nods. She walks, floats on as if carried by the wind. Sergio watches her weave down the driveway lined with topiaries, huge, fantastic living sculptures. He pricks his fingertip. A small droplet of blood emerges. Exterior, San Diego, college dormitory, morning. Adam Hatchett, 22, Latino, straight-laced, mature, bursts out of his dorm. Kyle, 21, jogs up, out of breath. Hey, Adam. Morning, Kyle. Adam doubles back, grabs hold of the dorm door for Kyle before it closes. You going away for the weekend? Kyle grabs hold of the door. Adam darts off. Quick trip up north. Exterior, Seattle. Pike's Place, morning. Tiffany Hatchet, 37, brassy, jaded busker, snaps her gun. She's painted in silver, head to toe, in a wedding dress, on top of a wooden box. She listens to voicemail. Ms. Hatchett, we rescheduled your appointment after the holiday. First thing Monday, but... Tiffany hangs up, tentative. She tucks her phone away. Wayne, 40, smiley, black, clown busker, shuffles up. He drags a pink helium balloon. Tiff, what's up, baby? Tiffany ignores him. She jolts, moves like a robot. How you gonna do me like that? She waves him away. I'm not giving up. I'm gonna be your sidekick. Shut somebody. the fuck up before I kick your dick in and shove that balloon up your asshole, Wayne. His smiley slowly turns to a frown. He releases his balloon, it ascends into the sky. He waddles off. Tiffany couldn't care less. Exterior Atherton Avenue, day. Don jog walks down the tree lined street of mansions. Exterior college campus, continuous morning. Adam rushes across campus. He sees Brooke and Lisa, 21, confident and guarded twins. He flags them down. Brooke, Lisa. They stop, pivot. Adam runs up close. Hey, you going up to Grandma's? Hell no. Are you and Rosie? Just me and my mom and dad. Your mom's coming? The twins look at each other, annoyed. <sighs> We're going to our dad's. 
I'll tell her you said hi. Lisa shakes her head new. We're gay. They stare at Adam awkwardly. Oh, okay. I gotta go. Intern hours. They turn, leave. Adam watches them, then dashes off. <laughs> Exterior, Texas. Janet's house, morning. Suburban home, parked cars, bikes everywhere. Another glass wind chime dangles. We hear the prayers of children. A big yellow school bus pulls up. Interior, Janet's living room, day. Mounted deer and ram's heads, taxidermy, cover the walls. Janet Hatchett, 45, earnestly righteous, prays with her four foster children, each a different ethnicity. The tallest, child four, blankly stares, not into it. Amen. All right, hurry up. She shoves them out the door. Child four grunts. They run. Bye, Mama Janet. Love you, too. Don't forget, God has a mission for your life. Stay clean. Your caseworker's coming today. Janet waves, stands inside the door, and smiles through gritted teeth. She shuts the door. Her face turns. She breathes and sways her arms, an exercise of sorts. She stares at a wall of framed photos, her younger days, her wedding. In one photo, she holds two twin baby girls. Exterior Atherton, Richard's house, day. Dawn knocks, rings the doorbell repeatedly. She looks in the side window and jogs in place. Richard, who is it? The door cracks open. A smoky, gray-haired, angelic black man, Richard, 70, peeks and slides out, closing the door. You can't keep doing this. I'm walking. Join me. Dawn? We can't be friends. We're neighbors, for Christ's sake. Richard purses his lips. Dawn huffs, turns, walks out. <sighs> I'll see you tonight, then. Richard's Caucasian wife, Margaret, 70, appears, appalled. What time does it start, Richard? Margaret pulls Richard's arm as Don trots away. Thanksgiving Eve service. Time? 7. 7 p.m. Oh, Margaret. I can recommend some fantastic concealer for those bags. Oh, oh and Botox work wonders for that forehead as well. Oh. Margaret glares. Richard swivels inside. Interior, therapist's office, hallway, day. Adam jogs in. He slides intern in office over his nameplate on the wall. He snags a cup from the nearby water cooler, fills it. Before he drinks, he checks, pats the soil of a large plant with his fingers. He tosses most of the water in and drinks the rest as he rounds the corner. Exterior, Don's home, driveway, day. Dawn sways, swings her arms down her driveway, deeply breathing in and out, the same exercise as Janet. Interior, San Diego, Charlie's apartment, bedroom, day. Sheets cover two sleeping bodies. We can't see their faces. A cell phone buzzes. Charlie Hatchett, 48, chiseled and cynical, rustles over, grabs it. The caller ID says mother. He ignores it. Interior, Dawn's home, living room, day. Dawn sits upright in a large Victorian chair like a queen on her throne, her house filled with antiques. She has stacks of thank you notes arranged around her. She holds her vintage rotary phone as it rings. You've reached Charlie Hatchett. Text me. It's faster. Charles, it's mother. Can you hear me? Pick up. I'll wait. Consuela, 60, compliant, brooding housekeeper, sweeps in carrying a green smoothie with a straw and a vase of beautiful flowers. Don waves her away, disgusted. Mimosa. Consuela places the vase on Don's desk and swerves out of the room as fast as she came in, holding the smoothie. Charles, hello? 
God, Consuela's making the turkey. I need you to bring that amazing dessert that you made, the, um, the fruit tart. She glances over the wall of framed photos. Janet holds the twins, Charlie's wedding, Adam, and others. <laughs> and tell that voluptuous wife of yours I've got the same bikini she has. Consuela found it at Nordstrom's. Oh, and I walk today, still maintaining my ideal body weight. Charles, look, I don't trust answering machines. Look, call me. Love you, darling. She hangs up, grabs a pen, methodically writes on paper what looks like a house floor plan next to her handwritten addressed envelopes. She slides a note into an envelope, licks it shut. She scans her handwritten phone and address list among many names, Dr. Thomas, Janet, Charles, Tiffany, Brooke, Lisa, Church, James. Turlock address only. Interior, Charlie's apartment, bedroom, day. Charlie's phone buzzes. He rolls over, sees new voicemail from mother. He rolls back, wraps his arm around his bedmate, Mateo, 35, charismatic, bold. Exterior Seattle, Pikes Place, day. Tourists gawk at Tiffany. Some toss cash at her. She poses for pictures, blows a kazoo every time her head and arms jerk in robotic movements. Her cell rings. She looks at their caller ID and braces herself. Hey, Mom. Tiffany, darling, you know I don't enjoy that word. <clears throat> Did you get the ticket for my travel agent? Yeah, I'm really busy with work. A so. simple thank you. That's fine. Don't forget sunscreen, dear. I'll send Sergio to pick you up. Yeah, I'm not coming. Look, this could be our last time together. My clock is ticking. Stop. It's been 15 years. You owe me, sweetie. Are your guilt trips don't work. See you tomorrow. Safe travels. Click. Don hangs up. Tiffany stares at the phone. She shakes it off, deeply inhales, then exhales. A tourist filming her is annoyed. Get off your phone! Tiffany flips the finger. He throws his coffee at her. Splat, it drips all over. Asshat! She looks at the other gawkers. Move on or pay up, jerk faces! Interior, Janet's house, kitchen, day. Janet slumps at her table with an open Bible and her bowl of cereal untouched, staring at a plane ticket. She stands, tosses her bowl in the sink, and opens a cabinet. Hi, coffee's ready. Jumping in the shower. Exactly what she wanted to hear. She pulls a hidden flask, swigs. Her phone rings. She jumps at the loud, obnoxious hallelujah chorus ringtone. Oh, shit. She tucks the flask in the cabinet, looks for her phone. The mounted animals on the wall put her down at her. She fumbles, lifts piles of papers, books, and finally pulls the cell from her purse. She stops, sees the caller ID, clears her throat and sweetens her voice. Mother! Oh, you sound tired. Did I wake you? I've been up since 5 a.m. All right, well, I won't take no for an answer. Mother, I, I can't get away. These kids need routine. It's they not good. They need college tuition, and I'll cover it. Mother. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Stop it. <sighs> Have you talked with your brother? We text. You know, his marriage is on the rocks. He's a big boy, don't worry about- is unbecoming. How's Consuela? God, I refuse to eat her god-awful green bean thing. Ugh, are you doing red or white these days? Janet stares at the 12 steps hanging in her kitchen. Step 10 is highlighted. Continue to take personal inventory and admit when we are wrong. Neither. <laughs> well, I'm expecting the twins. They never return calls or send thank you notes when I mail them checks. Your four new grandchildren would love to meet you. We all could come. Look, I need to talk about my will. Mother, not again. 
I'd be better off if I were dead. Stop it. You know, plane tickets cost a lot of money. I didn't ask you to buy it. If you honored God, you'd come. You're so judgmental. <laughs> well, Sergio will be at the curb. I'll let you go. I'm writing my thank you notes. See you tomorrow. Click. Janet stares at the huge deer head on her wall. Interior, therapy room, day. Adam counsels a voluptuous, overdramatic Latina, Chelsea, who's in despair. His cell buzzes. Incoming call from Grandma. Write a letter. Tell him how you feel. Excuse me. Real quick. He rises, glad to be interrupted. Chelsea, annoyed, reluctantly scribbles. Interior, therapist's office, hallway, continuous. Adam ducks, hides in an adjacent hallway. Grandma? Adam, darling, your father's answering his phone. He's probably at work. Since when? And what about your mother? God, is she fooling around? Grandma. Look, have you talked with your cousins? I've gone through a lot of trouble to plan this weekend. I haven't seen them, no. Look, I want you to have my spoons. Adam rolls his eyes. Maybe Aunt Janet wants them? But my spoons are antiques. They shouldn't be used to shovel cereal. Plus your name's on the plaque. Uh, I'm at my internship. Your Aunt Tiffany so. is maniacal. God, can you prescribe her something? She's coming? <laughs> Look, I'm not a monster. Wow. Adam. <sighs> okay, I, I know I haven't been a good person. You're trying. That matters. I'm just... I'm tired of trying. Anyways, I love you, darling. I'll see you tomorrow. Be on time. You know I hate tardiness. Click. She hangs up. Adam sees the same plant he watered. Interior, Charlie's bedroom, day. Charlie listens to his voicemail. And tell that voluptuous wife of yours I got the same bikini she wore last year by the pool. Consuela. He deletes the message. A text message chimes in from Adam. Dad, what time are we driving up tomorrow? Suddenly, Mateo, Charlie's lover, slips out from the covers, wraps his arm around him, kisses his neck. I have to go to work. Charlie turns toward them. They kiss. Stay. Mateo hesitates, smiles, but rolls out of bed. Shower with me. Charlie watches Mateo saunter naked into the bathroom. Mateo, I, I have to drive up to the bay to see my mother tomorrow. Mateo starts the shower water running. Oh, should I make my tart again? Mateo pokes out of the bathroom, brushing his teeth. Charlie hesitates, then shakes his head no. I'm sorry. Mateo's face turns. I can't do another holiday alone. I won't do it. Mateo whips back into the bathroom. Charlie sinks, closes his eyes, slowly inhales, then exhales. Interior therapist's office, day. Adam, eyes closed, slowly exhales. Chelsea sobs. I won't do it! I can't fake it through another holiday! Adam rises, walks to her. He sits close, hand on her. Look, I'm not going! It's not a good time to make rash decisions. What side are you on, Adam? I want to help everyone. Chelsea stands, quickly gathers her things. What about me? I'm trying, Mom. Well, try harder! She bolts out, slams the door. Adam exhales. Exterior Atherton, church building, night. The silhouetted building is dark, but light pours out through stained glass windows. A choir sings. Interior church, continuous. Dawn sits in a pew, fiddles with her Thanksgiving bulletin. The choir finishes the song. The church people clap. 
Margaret flashes a cheesy smile to everyone except her face turns when she sees Don. Richard, the pastor, steps in the pulpit. He avoids eye contact with Don. So then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Don rises, peacocks out of the room. Richard watches. Interior, Don's powder room, later that night. Don wipes her makeup, smears it sloppily like Norma Desmond from Sunset Boulevard. She stares at herself in the mirror. A tear streams down her face. She caresses her fingers across her wrinkles. With both hands, she smooths out her skin. She pulls the drawer out on her right and lifts a leather-bound book full of papers and photos. She sifts through her younger, happier self, children, a husband. She places the book down. She looks back into the drawer beneath from where she took the book, digs her hand in, pulls out a gun. She examines it, slowly points it to her temple. She stares at herself and cocks the gun to her head. She pulls it back down to look inside the barrel. She jumps, startles, hides the gun. Senora? Consuela cracks the door open, sees Don in the mirror. What? What do you want? Lo siento. Consuela hangs her head, turns her back. Do you want to check everything is how you like it for the table? Fine, go. I'll, I'll be there. Consuela sees the drawer. Her eyes meet Don's in the mirror. Consuela backs away. Did you mail my envelopes? Si, senora. Don composes herself, arranges her pill bottles labeled Welbutrin, Prozac, Zoloft, Xanax, etc., perfectly lining them up along her sink basin. Interior, Don's house, kitchen, night. Consuela stuffs the turkey. Sergio strolls through the kitchen. He watches. They converse in Spanish. The kid's coming? Tomorrow? She shakes her head no. She doesn't lift her head. How come? Well, take lift over to them. Senora Doan said they could come. I don't want them here. Why? Consuela ignores him. <clears throat> Sergio nods, steps out of the room. Don's house, dining room, night. Don inspects the table. Each place is perfectly set for seven courses. Shiny silverware, nameplates. We see a few, Adam, Charlie, Brooke, Lisa. Don sits at the table head. She stares at her name. She picks up the knife, taps an empty champagne flute as if she's going to make a toast. She picks it up, holds it high, looks at each empty seat as if she sees everyone there. She smiles through gritted teeth and tear. Consuela spies on Don through the crack of the entryway, then retreats back. Don's bedroom, midnight. A grandfather clock strikes. Don sprawls in her bed asleep. Consuela sneaks in. Don's powder room, continuous. Consuela quietly pulls the drawer out, stares at the gun. She wraps her fingers around it, slowly pulls it out, and ogles it. Over her shoulder, she looks back to Don in her bed. Consuela glares in the mirror. Her eyes are heavy, but she stares deeply into herself. She sees the church bulletin wedged in the mirror, A Life of Thanksgiving by Pastor Richard Goodwin. Consuela clasps the gun, stares at it. She sticks it in her waistband and slips out. Don's home early the next morning. Sprinklers set off around the beautiful landscape. The sun illuminates the dew-filled flowers. Sergio pushes a wheelbarrow down the driveway past the mailbox with the hatchets on it. The outgoing mail flag is up. Seattle, Tiffany's apartment building, morning. 
Tiffany slithers out the door, slings on her backpack. She passes a huge 10-foot inflated pilgrim Indian in Turkey. They wobble in the wind. She jumps in the waiting cab, and it peels off. Janet's house, morning. Janet, pissed, rolls an oversized suitcase to her car. Child one and two follow. Child three and four stand at the door. Why can't I go? Your grandmother's a bit, a bit old-fashioned. She kisses their foreheads. Did you brush your teeth? Go, get. Janet nudges them both away. She struggles to lift her suitcase in the trunk. She slams it shut with a grunt. Adam's car, traveling, morning. Adam drives. Rosie, 22, Adam's sweet and optimistic fiancé, sits passenger. I want to get a tree up and decorate. Saturday, I promise. They pull up to Charlie's apartment. He sits on the curb with a suitcase. Adam looks at Rosie. He parks. Charlie's apartment, morning. Charlie stands holding a fruit tart pie. He lights up when he sees Rosie. Rosie, thank God you're coming. Rosie hugs Charlie. No, I'm going to my parents'. That's the last one we're doing apart. You made your fruit tart? Charlie nods, shrugs. Uh, where's your mom? Adam pulls his bag from his trunk. I should ask you the same thing. Charlie glares. Mateo watches from the apartment window above. Adam catches a glimpse as Mateo ducks out of sight. Rosie senses the tension, jumps in the driver's seat of Adam's car. Adam turns to her in the car window. I'm thankful for you and her. He leans through the open car window, kisses her, and caresses her belly. They exchange loving glances. Happy Thanksgiving, babe. Get sucked into the vortex. Bye, Charlie. She drives off. Charlie and Adam stand, numb. Don's house, kitchen, morning. Consuela bastes the turkey, shoves it in the oven. A smoothie and hard-boiled eggs sit on the counter. Senora! Silence. She picks up the egg and smoothie, walks out. Don's bedroom. Consuela swings open the door. It's eerily quiet. The white bed sheets are tossed over Don's body. Buenos dias. She pulls the drapes. Sunlight shines in on Don's bed. Airport, morning. Tiffany, chomping gum, stands on the curb. Charlie's car, morning. Charlie drives. Adam sits quietly, peers out the window. Airport. Janet pulls her large roller suitcase to the curb, making her way through the sea of other travelers. Don's bedroom, morning. Consuela ruffles the sheets. Pills pop and bounce. Empty pill bottles roll off the bed, revealing Don's lifeless body. (laughs) She backs up, hits the wall, and clutches the curtains. She pulls them over her as she slides to the floor in hysterics, exposing the room in full sunlight. And that's the beginning of my story, the first 20 pages. I have 118 pages fully written and developed. I've been working on this script for uh, about two years. Uh, At this point, I am looking for producers and investors. If you would like to invest into this film and help partner to produce it, please let me know. My phone number is 650-743-4547. And you can email me at tony at bravemaker.com. The Thorns We Live With is a very personal story loosely based on my own experience with losing my grandmother to suicide. The next part of the story is when the family reunites in the hospital and they have to make decisions based on her end-of-life wishes, and they all must reconcile their perspectives on eternity, on their dysfunctional past, and how they can move forward 
in becoming reconciled individuals as well as reconciled family. And as they do that, many unexpected surprises and people surface from their past in order for them to reconcile and understand and make sense. They have to band together, and in doing so, they become changed people, and somehow they're able to find the light in some of the darkest of times, and they're able to find hope in one of the most traumatic experiences that they could ever encounter. Bravemaker is a 501c3 non-profit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at bravemaker.com. Thanks for listening to the Bravemaker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating, and share with a friend.